as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a cold tide there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some of the people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw the cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, In the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Well, here we are on Palm Sunday. Now I want to play a game with you first to just get started to see whether you're able to remember different parts of the story. So this game is called Which One Is It? Heads or Hips? So I'm going to ask you some questions and if you think it's the first one, you put your hands on your head. Everyone have a practice? Yeah, very good. And if you think it's the second answer, you've got to put your hands on your hips. Okay, let's see how we go. Here's the first question. Jesus came into town riding a white horse, would be heads, or a donkey colt, hips. Which one do you think? Heads. I'm seeing lots on the hips. Yes, you're right. He rode a donkey, a donkey or a colt. Now, the colt had never been ridden or it had been ridden just by its owner. So either the donkey has never been ridden or it's been ridden by its owner. Oh, I'm seeing lots of heads. Yeah, if you don't know, just look at everybody else here on the right track. Very good, correct. It had never been ridden before. When Jesus came into town, he was booed or he was cheered? Booed or cheered, what do you think? Booed? He was cheered. He was cheered. Okay, Two, uh, three more. Um, Jesus visited the city of Rome or the city of Jerusalem? City of Rome or the city of Jerusalem? What do you think? Well done, Josiah. Yeah. The city of Jerusalem is the right answer. Now, the people shouted something, didn't they? They shouted, Hosanna. Now, does Hosanna mean... Look, a donkey. <laughs> or does it mean save now? What do you think? Look, a donkey or save now? Now, we didn't hear that on, but you've got to guess. <laughs> it means save now. <laughs> and the last one, okay, ready? The first thing that Jesus did when he got into Jerusalem was to go to the palace or to go to the temple? What do you think? A little bit trickier. 
He went to the temple. That's right. Well done, everybody. You listened really well. Give yourselves a clap. So Jesus came into Jerusalem riding a colt, which is a young donkey, that had never been ridden before. And when he entered, all the people cheered and they celebrated and they called out Hosanna, which means save now. And when Jesus arrived, he went to the temple. Now, this is probably a story that you're pretty familiar with. And when we know things well, we can stop paying attention and miss things that are important. In this story, there are some clues about what people think are important and what Jesus thinks is important. And if we pay attention, we will see that what Jesus says is important is very important for us to know too. So let's start off with the people. What do we learn about the people on the road? Well, we know that they threw their cloaks over the colt and spread them on the road. And they spread branches, a little bit like our palm branches over here. Spread them out on the road as well. This was their custom, a way of showing honour and celebration, like we might wave a banner at a street parade. And the people all around Jesus shouted out and they called out Hosanna. And they were excited because they thought the promised king from David had come. And the people were excited because they thought that Jesus was going to fix things. He was going to make everything better. He was going to take over from the Romans and free the Jews from their power. But the people were a little bit like Dory. Do you know Dory from the fish in Finding Nemo? Yes. Now, Dory's a lovely fish, but she has a little problem. She can't remember things very well, can she? She has short-term memory loss, and so she keeps forgetting things. And when Marlon is trying to find his son Nemo, Marlon gets very frustrated at Dory because she keeps forgetting what they're doing. And she can't even remember Nemo's name. She calls him Chico, Fabio, Bingo, Harpo, and Elmo. That's not Nemo's name, is it? Marlon is desperate to find Nemo and save him, but Dory keeps getting distracted by different things. And I wonder if sometimes we're a bit like Dory too. I know as kids, it's hard to think about doing things that are going to matter later on. I talk to my kids all the time about how you need to brush your teeth every day so that they get strong and healthy or to practice their musical instruments, which I know that you guys did, so that you'll be glad when you're older, or to eat healthy food so that your bodies grow big and strong. These are all good things to do, but it's tempting to ignore them when you're young because you don't see the benefits straight away. We just want the shortcuts. We want things uh, that are going to make life good right now. And you're not alone, you know, kids, because adults have things that they need to do every day, which are kind of hard too. But they will matter in the long run, like speaking gently to their children, or loving their spouse well, or investing in their friendships. But there's even bigger and more important things in life that this passage shows us, and that's that we need to get Jesus right. The crowds were doing the right thing, they were celebrating Jesus and praising him, but they were doing it for the wrong reason. They thought Jesus had come as a powerful king to take over from the Romans. 
and they could live happily ever after in Israel as a mighty nation. That's what the people thought would be good for them. But God had an even bigger plan, a better plan, only they kept missing it. Even the disciples missed it. They had a short-term memory problem just like Dory did. Three times already, Jesus had told them that he would be handed over to the rulers, that he would be treated badly, and that they would kill him. And three days later, he would rise again. But just like Dory, they were not paying attention. Instead, the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom and who gets to sit next to him on his throne. They just didn't understand and they wanted Jesus to suit their agenda. But Jesus had given them clues that he is the king, but that he's a different kind of king. And he comes to save them in a different kind of way to what they want. So that's what we're going to look at next. How is Jesus a different kind of king? Now, there is a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which Jesus clearly had in his mind as he rode into Jerusalem. And you can see the words on the screen behind me. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Did you see that in the passage there? The passage says that the people of Jerusalem should rejoice because their king is coming. He is righteous and victorious. That sounds good, right? But the next bit is surprising. The king is lowly, it says, and riding on a donkey. It's a bit like if we said our prime minister was coming into town after winning the election, what would he be riding? What would he be coming in, do you think? A big car with flags, like that? No. What if he came riding a, a bicycle? <laughs> That's a bit strange, isn't it? People in power don't normally act in humble or lowly ways, do they? So Jesus is a different kind of king. He's powerful and mighty. We can see that in the story because it seems as if Jesus knows things that a normal human person couldn't know. For instance, he knows exactly where the colt is and what's going to happen. And he commands his disciples to go and fetch the colt and they go. And when they get there, they tell the owners that the Lord needs it. And then they give it to him. Now, we might worry, is Jesus asking his disciples to steal? Well, no. No, he's not. The owners voluntarily let the disciples take the colt and later they return it. But all these things show us that Jesus is the king. Everything belongs to him and everyone obeys him. He is powerful and mighty. And he's a lowly king. A humble king, not proud, he's not a show-off. You know, Jesus must have looked a bit funny. Most people walked into the city, they didn't ride, and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, riding on a little donkey, and his big legs would have been wrapped around it, and the donkey was probably, probably scared with all the noise of the city, 
and a little bit skittery. Now, when I was little, I had a family friend of ours who had a donkey, and we used to ride it around in the paddock. But they can stop quickly, and you can almost fall off, and they're a little bit bumpy, so we had to be led around with a lead. But Jesus comes in riding a colt, a young donkey that has never been ridden before. I wouldn't want to get on a donkey that hadn't been ridden before. The donkey must know that Jesus is his maker and that he is kind and gentle. And according to Jewish custom, no one else was allowed to ride a king's horse. And an unbroken, unblemished animal was set apart as sacred. So Jesus choosing to ride such an animal points to the fact that he is a different kind of king. He didn't enter on a big war horse, but on a young donkey. Jesus was powerful and mighty, and he was humble and lowly. Secondly, Jesus came to deliver them in a different kind of way. Jesus came to deliver them in a different kind of way. Now, what do kings and queens normally do? What do they do? Often they take over countries and they try and build their empire and they get all the wealth that they can and people honour them and serve them and praise them. And people in their countries want the most powerful ruler so that they get the best of everything too. But once again, Jesus doesn't do things that other kings or queens do. He doesn't look like a proper king and he doesn't act like a proper king. He wasn't riding up to the palace he was actually riding into the place where he was going to die. He didn't wear a crown of gold on his head. Instead, they put a crown of thorns on his head. The people wanted a strong, commanding, impressive ruler that was going to make them feel strong and impressive too. They wanted a king who was going to free them from their enemy, the empire of Rome. And they thought they knew exactly what God should do and what sort of rescuer God should send. If God just listened to them, it would all be fine. They wanted a big, strong rescuer, but they wanted to be in control of him and have him answer to them. But if God did that, would that make God the king or the people? You don't boss around a king, do you? You do what they say. God had a bigger plan than what the people thought or even wanted. They had different ideas about what a king should do and what was best for them. But God wanted to free them from their biggest enemy, the enemy that keeps them stuck and in slavery forever. And that was not Rome, but sin. The people wanted God to free them from the Romans, but there would always be another enemy or another bully in their way making their lives miserable. Their greatest problem, and ours, is our sin. And God knows that when we try to be the boss, we make a big mess of it. We aren't good kings like Jesus. We hurt other people, and we mess up our world, and we pretend that like we're the boss when God actually is. And we either ignore him or we boss him around. If Jesus did come and defeat the Romans, 
I wonder, do you think that the Jewish leaders would be any better than the Roman ones? No, I don't think so, do you? Because the problem isn't out there, it's in here. God doesn't give us what we want, he gives us what we need. And God's approach is the opposite to what we expect. He's a different kind of king and he delivers them in a different kind of way. God doesn't overcome violence with more violence. He's not the bigger bully. He could easily do that, but he doesn't. He comes with humility. And he even says in the chapter before that all the other rulers lorded over others, but that those who want to be great must be a servant. And that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way that Jesus defeats our enemies once and for all is not through power, not through strength, but through weakness. Not through belittling or demeaning and vanquishing his enemies, but by lowering and humbling himself, by becoming one of them, siding with them, dying for them, and taking the consequences of their actions himself. Jesus is a different kind of king, and he delivers us in a different kind of way, the way that we need. Now, kids, I wonder if you've heard of a yes day. Have you heard of a yes day? Yes, I'm seeing a few nods. That's when parents have to say yes to everything that a child asks for for a whole day. I'm sure that the parents have got different feelings about a yes day to the kids. So if you want to have ice cream for breakfast, or you want to jump on the furniture, or you want to make your parents dress up in silly clothes, they have to say yes because it's a yes day. Well, I think that that's what the people were doing with Jesus. And I think that that's what we do often with God too. We want him to do everything that we want for us. We want him to say yes to everything that we want. We think that God's only good or worth having in our lives if he gives us everything that we want. But God knows better. God has a bigger vision for our lives than what we do. We can only guess what's going to happen today, or maybe next week, or maybe in a few years at a stretch but we don't really know, but God does, God knows. And if we knew what God knows, we might make different choices now. And if we knew what God knows, we would ask for exactly what he gives because God does want the best for us, but he actually knows what the best is, whereas we just think we know. God doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. Now, sometimes God might feel mean or unkind or even unfair. And I'm sure that the Jews hoped that Jesus would rescue them. But then the next thing that happens is that they see Jesus hanging on a cross. And that must have felt like God didn't come through for them either. There might be good things that we really want, 
It could be about our families. It could be about our school. It could be about our friends. And we might pray to God, but he doesn't seem to be saying yes. But when we think that way, it's important to remember that God gave us his most precious treasure, his son, and that he doesn't hold back anything that's actually good for us. If God gave us his dearly loved son to die on the cross for us because he loved us so much, we can trust that he really does love us and he will say yes to the things that are best for us in the long term. Sometimes we're just short-sighted and we can't see the ways that God is working for our good. I'm sure that's just how the disciples felt on Easter Saturday after Jesus died. They just couldn't see how God could make things good after the worst day ever watching Jesus die. They'd forgotten or they couldn't believe his promises. And there may be things that God says are good for us to do that may not make any sense to us as well. For example, why should I, <coughs> why should I go to church instead of playing sports on a Sunday? Well, why should I read my Bible if it's hard to understand and a bit boring? Or why should I be kind to the kid at school who doesn't have any friends? Having Jesus as our king changes our lives too. And it challenges us to see things through his long-term perspective. When the people were waving all those branches around for a king, they thought God had given them the kind of king that they wanted. And yet Jesus, the king of all kings, was going to die on a tree to demonstrate his love and defeat our greatest enemies of sin, death, and Satan once for all. And they had no idea just how truly great a king Jesus was. It can be hard for us to understand this now too. We can be just as short-sighted. But in Revelation chapter 7, we see a picture of the future, when this will all be clear. There's a great multitude of people, so many that it's impossible to count them. And they're standing before a royal throne, God's throne. And they're wearing white robes and they're waving palm branches. And they cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then we will all celebrate that Jesus is a different kind of king who saved us in the very best way. He gave us exactly what we need and he is victorious and he will rule forever and ever. So let's not be short-sighted like the people on the road to Jerusalem or like Dory who sees something shiny and follows it instead of focusing on the rescue mission. Let's not get caught up in wanting God to say yes to everything that we want. But let's, let's look for the clues that he has given us because God actually offers us much more than we can even imagine. 
Jesus is the kind of king we need and he rescues us in the exact way that we need it. Jesus is powerful and mighty and he's humble and lowly. He's the type of king who gives everything up for you so you can trust him with everything that's important to you. Let's pray together, shall we? Dear God, thank you for sending King Jesus. God, sometimes we don't understand you and we wish that you would do the things we want. Please help us to trust you, to stop bossing you around and to remember that you are a good and loving king and that you always give us what we need. Help us not to be short-sighted, but to see our lives and you through your long-term perspective. In Jesus' name. Amen.